Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is Syracuse slash New York City comedian Rachel Blythe. We talked a lot about how she's staying sane during the coronavirus quarantine, how she's been able to transition from being an actor into a comedian, and she also incorporates music into her set too. So we talked about that. Thank you guys so much for staying tuned during the coronavirus quarantine. Hopefully you're entertained and staying away from Netflix. It's a goddamn struggle, but we'll get through it together. Thanks again. Take care. Stay safe. I'll talk to you next week. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. I don't know if you like plan your podcast or just just go. Not really. I don't. Okay. I don't do an outline for them or whatever. All right. Basically, I say some things. I hope it's decent, and I rely on the guest to carry the weight. Okay. <laughs> so no pressure on you. All right. So I've got Rachel Blythe. Are you a Syracuse comedian or a New York City comedian? I guess I would say I'm a New York City comedian who spends a lot of time in Syracuse because my boyfriend lives up here, so I go between the two. But I moved to New York City in 2005, and I really feel like that is home. But at this point in my, I don't know, quote unquote career, most of my gigs are upstate and around New York State. And I've been going between New York City and Syracuse for three years. And I feel like Syracuse is almost like my second home. So I I guess I claim whatever... Whatever gets me the most cred, whatever gets that's why, like, whatever whatever gets the crowd on my side. I'm like, hey, Syracuse, I'm your hometown girl, Rachel Blythe, who, you know. Selfishly, I like booking you a lot because I can always throw that New York City credit on there. Mm-hmm. Like, listen, I know she's taking the bus in from Syracuse, but nobody else has to know that. Yeah, or the bus from New York City. Spend a lot of time on the bus. How do you keep yourself occupied on a bus ride? You do it so often. Do you just read book after book after book? I wish I was like Watch that. In- I wish I was that intellectual. Um, no, I usually just try to fake taking a nap. Like I'll go to sleep or sometimes like if it's a, if I have a, a gig, I'll go over my notes for my set. I'll try to write. I don't think I've written anything decent on the bus, but I've definitely like outlined some sets. Um, sometimes I'll listen to a podcast. Sometimes I'll listen to music, but I really don't mind taking the bus. It's better than driving. I don't mind it. But like whenever I'm on the bus to go down to New York City, I usually go mega bus early in the morning. I spend so much time hoping nobody sits next to me. Like everybody who gets on the bus, I'm like, okay, I survey the open seats. Like, okay, there's some left. Now if there's like one spot in each seat, I'm like, okay, well, do I look gross? Because I hope so. Like, I don't want them to sit next to me. That's a good strategy. The other strategy is bring a backpack and then put it on the seat. Oh, okay. Because if you have shit on your seat, then people are less likely to pick that seat. But then I have, I like to be courteous. So I'm like, am I being an asshole by putting a backpack on my seat and uninviting to, because sometimes people need to sit down, but then I was like, fuck it. I don't like sharing the seat. So I'll just, I'll just put my backpack or put my stuff on the seat and then make people ask me to move it when the bus starts to fill up. I usually go down to the city with my sister and my mom. Mm -hmm. And I always think that's a good test. Like, okay, well, which kid does mom like more? So, so when my mom sits next to my sister, I'm like, all right, good choice. That's <laughs> go. when, like, it's the only time I'm really happy to be not my mom's favorite kid. Because you'll get your own bus seat. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, I met you, I'm trying to think when we met, probably at O'Day's or Maddie B's. I think I think we met at Who's Got Next. That's my first right. memory of you. You're right. You're yeah. right in Rochester. Mm-hmm. And that was trying with to th- Tori won, won that contest. Yeah, you, Tori yeah. Seward beat you mm-hmm. in the final. Yep. Yeah. And I'd been doing comedy like not even a year at that point. 
feels like a really long time ago and then not that long ago. But that was... No, that would have been 2017. That was fun. I, that's where I met Andy Kuhn. Yeah, and he's very funny. <laughs> I had him on a podcast, came out in April. He never knew this. One of the first things I said to him was, so nobody knows this, but I didn't like you. <laughs> Because <laughs> like like I, I said, I always thought you were like my rival. And he goes, really? I go, yeah, because I did two contests with him and mm-hmm. he beat me head to head at Who's Got Next. And then a couple months later, we were at the Rochester's Funniest People. It was me and nine other guys and Andy made the top four and I generously, I would have finished fifth. Mm-hmm. Like I can't see myself finishing in the top four. Like I didn't get robbed or anything. I could see myself finishing as high as fifth based on everybody else. Because a couple of people bombed. So I figured Andy got the fourth spot, got me again. So I hate Andy Kuhn. And now I talk to him every other day. That's so, <laughs> so funny that you had this strange comedy contest resentment towards Andy. Oh, I know. He's, yeah, he's funny. Everybody. He does well in contests. Con- I just, he's a humble guy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fine. Comedy contests are kind of a ridiculous concept, though. I mean, I'll still do them for the stage time. But let's take this thing that's completely subjective and see who's the quote-unquote best at it. And it's usually whoever brings the most people. And it's a very silly thing. Well, I went up to Rochester and uh, for that Rochester Funniest. Mm-hmm. And I met, I think, Vinny Polino. I think he runs the whole club now. But I said, hey, I'm Mike Peters. And he goes, oh, nice to meet you. Uh, where are you coming from? And I said, well, Binghamton. He goes, huh, you expecting a lot of people here? I said, <laughs> no. He, I said, no. And he says, well, good luck. I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> I was like, I just drove two and a half hours to lose. So. Yeah, well, those are good stage time, though. It's always fun to perform in front of like two, three hundred people. Yeah, that one I had about nineteen. Oh, okay. So, so the worth the drive. I'll tell then. you what. Yeah, and I don't remember who won. I know Andy finished in the top four. A couple of people from Buffalo, maybe another guy from Rochester. But the one, the one person I was most afraid of was this seven, got to be seventy-five-year-old woman. I don't know how often she'd gotten the stage before, but she got it from her table. She had three or four people there and she was okay. She did well until like the last joke she had. Imagine a 75 year old woman, like your grandmother telling a joke where the punchline is her jerking off an elephant. I want to be that woman when I'm 75. (laughs) I want to be her. Like I want to have that kind those kind I think I think that probably will be me at 75. Oh, absolutely. I can see it now. I'm, I'm not going to change. So no. <laughs> But I was like I am in my seat. I'm like you got to be fucking kidding me. How am I going to beat this? It's because, amazing. Like, I mean, it was I don't remember the joke. It, I'm sure it was fine, but it wasn't like hilarious. But it, the visual, like a 75-year-old woman talking about jerking off an elephant, like you would never have expected that to come out of her mouth. Okay. So was this a true story or did she yeah. present this as a true story? Oh, How does, oh I don't, th- I don't like, think so. I, yeah. It's a true story on my end. I don't yeah. think of hers. No, because yeah. I'm like, I, I mean, I want to picture a world in which there is a situation where a 75-year-old woman could jerk off an elephant, but I can't I think know. of any. They get the it's zoo on, for insemination. It's probably on you porn. You could probably find oh. it. Yeah, I guess there's... <laughs> We've got free time. <laughs> Let me pull up Google. <laughs> my my, Would, my search history is so fucked anyway from just researching jokes. Like yeah, I know. All the they're like What's the weirdest thing you've ever had to search for for a joke, you think? I think I've searched age of consent so many times because in different states or all over yeah, the place. Yeah, age cuz because yeah. I didn't know what the age of consent in New York was and you know, you've seen me do this. I have this bit that yeah. it's still a work in progress about statutory rape and age of consent. So I was just searching age of consent Nevada, age of consent California because if I do it in certain places, 
Because some states it's 16, some states it's 17, and some states it's 18. So like if you're 17 and you bang someone in their 20s in California, that's legally rape. But if you do it in Nevada, that's totally like, cool, go for it. New York, totally legal, which is very strange that it's not a consistent thing. But I remember just Googling age of consent over and over just when I was like working out the different parts of the joke. And I'm like, oh, God, like, what kind of targeted ads am I going to get from this? Like, do they think... (laughs) Like Rachel Blythe, buy tickets to the Warped Tour. That's your crowd. You'll find someone there. (laughs) Let's keep keep this woman 200 feet away from high schools. Um, And by the way, I've been to the Warped Tour many times. I did. You would fit in well. I have no. I I went, but I was like 16, 17. So I don't know. Do 17 year old boys still go to the Warped Tour? I guess I was thinking of my teen years. Is it still a young crowd, or is it just like a bunch of thirty something? I think the Warped Tour is done. Like us. Yeah. I, mean, I think the Warped Tour is done. Yeah. Okay. No, I think I went. When did you go? You were 17, 18? Uh, yeah, I was in, it was in California. So it must have been, I went a couple times. It must have been like 99, 2000, 2001. Oh, so you probably saw like, like Blink-182 when they were still doing Warped Tour. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen Blink-182. They were a local San Diego band. Like I remember when yeah. they were just like some local band that was played on the local radio station and then they, they exploded. So what was that like? Like you were, okay. So you're from San Diego, right? I'm from the San Diego area. I'm from the suburbs. But yeah, I'm from technically San Marcos and Escondido, which is North County, which is outside San Diego. Was everybody a Blink-182 fan? Like when in, they started like in middle in school? 90s? Yeah, I pretty much every kid would write on their Jansport backpack and Sharpie Blink-182. They were called Blink before Blink-182. Oh, yeah. They were called Blink-182 yep. back in the day. Oh, you know, you know the trivia. You're yeah, a true fan. Yeah, they got... I think a German band called Blink sued them or threatened to sue them. So they had to change. So I forget what I forget yeah, where the a, 80, 182 comes from. I forget which movie it was. Maybe it was Goodfellas. Well, I could Google this too if we weren't. If, um, but it's the number of times that the word fuck is said in the movie. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah, but I, I forget I forget what movie it is. But that's where they got the 182 part. But. I like that stuff. Like, uh, I remember the, the theory for 311 was that K is the 11th letter in the alphabet. Three times K is KKK. So 311 is really a KKK band. Like, I heard which that is weird. fake theory. Yeah, which is weird because but, like 311, I don't know how well you know them. They're like all about like people coming together and unity and like acceptance. So it's like, it doesn't make no, sense unless, unless they're really covering the tracks. Well. The real story, I heard that story is the fake theory because my, my boyfriend in high school, that was his favorite band and he always wore 311 t-shirts. But 311 was the house number of a house that had a lot of weed at it. That was okay, the so, other theory. What I what I think seems a little more appropriate because it was like House Three Eleven. I could be talking out of my ass and making this up, but that's some memory in my memory bank from high school. Was like, oh, Three Eleven got their name because House Number Three Eleven had a lot of pot, and that was the the cool house to go to. Which seems like well, and if you know if you know their library at all, you know they're (laughs) heavy into the weed. So (laughs) that especially back then. But what I. What I heard and read was that 311 is the police code for public inde- or indecent exposure or public nudity, something like that, in Omaha, Nebraska. Oh. So I think that's how it happened. And they're from Omaha. 
But okay. Who knows? I mean, I could be I could be misremembering that or completely making that up. But I'm we pretty could, sure that's how. So if anyone who's listening wants to know how 311 got their name, Google it because you know, we like if know you and theories, I were at a but we don't know if they're right. If you and I were at a bar, mm-hmm. we would just Google it. Yeah. But now we're sitting in front of two computers and we're like, no, let's not. This is like an old school bar conversation. Like no phones, nothing. I mean, I could Google it, but then the keys will make noise, and I think that'll I fuck know. up the recording. No, I think so, it's I think it's better this way. All right. So we'll just, we'll just, just live with the force, uncertainty. It'll force me to to pony up the money and get a producer, somebody <laughs> who knows how to do this stuff. You're like, but, hey, uh, so <laughs> John, Google Google that. <laughs> yeah. Now I got to find a guy named John. I I don't know. I I do have a, one problem with you. I'm gonna have to pay for this. Not with you, really, but about ten minutes before I had to record, I was on my recliner and I had my one cat Dennis. He jumped on me and was sleeping on my legs. He never does that. And I'm like, shit, how am I going to do this? Like, and I said, text a friend of mine. I'm like, this never happens. And I have to record. She's like, do you have to record? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so like, like I'm taking a picture of him and then his sister D gets on the, on me too. And I'm like, shit, this is not going to happen. So I let him sit there for five minutes. I'm like, I got to go. I undid the chair and I apologize. I give him treats and I'm like, I'm completely whipped. But I just hope that after this recording, they're going to be okay with me. So if they're not. I'm going to be really mad at you. Wow. So I deprived you of getting the little bit of affection that you can get in quarantine. <laughs> now, I like how you added in quarantine. And it's like. No, that's not necessary. Like, it's just, it's, that's all I'll I'm ever get anyway. Because it's like, it's like having cats. It's like when you're in a five-year marriage and like you fuck once a year and that was like your annual thing. So maybe, <laughs> maybe in another year, the cats will come around and need some affection again. Well, likely we'll be quarantined for another year anyway, so it'll happen. Oh, don't. How are you doing? I mean, as well as anybody, I guess. I mean, I can't, I feel bad complaining. I can't complain. Like, I got out of New York City right in time. Um, We're in the middle of nowhere, which is awesome. I have a lot of spare time. I haven't, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do some self-improvement and exercise and read. I've worked out maybe twice this whole month. I haven't read for you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, fuck that. <laughs> my my librarian dad would be very proud of me and my not reading in quarantine and just watching. I rewatched the whole entirety of Better Call Saul. I rewatched the entirety of BoJack Horseman because I like to keep it upbeat in my quarantine. Yeah, yeah, um, really. Rewatching Ozark again as well. I'm painting pet portraits, doing watercolor paintings of dogs and trying to cover Katy Perry songs on piano. So that's where that's where my mental state is. It's not bad. It's just, you know, of course, concerned about the world and trying not to get sick. Like, I've only had Brett, my boyfriend, for human contact for the last month, which is great. But, you know, and, <laughs> but. and this, <laughs> yeah, I miss my friends. I mean, we, we all do, right? You know, so, it's, it's so weird. So this, uh, is, this is a nice excuse to have a conversation. Um, I did a Zoom call <laughs> with a couple of my girlfriends and got... Um, Last Saturday, I did a Zoom call with a couple of my girlfriends and got blackout drunk on my couch. So that was just like, oh, like going but out. But you weren't drinking alone. No, I wasn't. Not to, I mean, yes and no. We were alone together. Um, so that was that was fun. Have you done any of the online mics? No, I haven't. It's amazing how beneficial they are. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I was, I, was, originally... I was kind of shitting on them with my other friend. I'm like, I'm not going to do an online mic. That's like... It's like I compared it to dry humping. It's like if doing a, going on stage is sex, like an open mic. It's like I don't want to. 
and then you feel like even more unsatisfied and you miss it even more. So, but maybe, maybe I'll give it a shot. Take it from me, from a guy who only had the opportunity to dry hump for about 15 years. It's worth it. <laughs> like you take what you can get. <laughs> that long? Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, probably. Uh, so it's better no. than nothing, I guess. I dated a woman for four years. First girlfriend. She mm-hmm. was a sophomore. I was a junior. For 13 and a half months, we made out a lot. She let me touch some spots. I was happy with that. And then, but it took like six months to do anything else and another three or four months after that. And then, we, yeah, we didn't have sex for, for 13 months. So I was an experienced dry humper. Wait, was this high school or college? This was actually my 30s. that sounds like, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. No, 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 this is this was high school. I'm like, that's, I'm like, because that sounds like, that's, uh, that, that's like standard for high school. That's, that, yeah, that yeah, was okay. me too. Like, because I yeah, was like, right. you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready yet. I'm ready to do everything else, but you can't do the old P and V until you're really sure you're in love. So that's, that's standard. That's everybody, Mike. That's, that's, you actually, you were actually a player in high school. You were in marching band, I bet. So. <laughs> yeah. absolutely (laughs) like i saw Uh, you in your mighty mighty boston sweatshirt and i was like okay that guy was in band in high school so if you're in in the ska you were definitely a band kid i mean in the night if you were our age because i was in i was not a band kid i mean i was in drumline for one semester and jazz band for one year but i was i was into ska but everybody else who i knew who was into ska was in marching band so I was like, what'd I you know. play in jazz? I played, I played, no, I played guitar badly. Oh, okay. And then I played xylophone in drumline. I didn't start piano until I was in my twenties. And so, and then I played it on and off, mostly off. And so this is, this is a quarantine pursuit to try to try to actually learn piano. That's the productive that thing I'm trying to do with my time. It's amazing how you get better at things when you practice them. Like, Oh, Hey, <laughs> I can kind of play an Eric Satie was one of my favorite composers. His stuff is beautiful. I can kind of play one of his songs like without nuance, but I can play the notes because I practiced it. So that's, it's amazing how that works. Um, my dad was my band director. I think he, you he mentioned would, that before. He would get so mad at me because I wouldn't practice unless I had something to prepare for. Like, like if it was a festival audition or something that was going to be judged or a seating. He's like, it bothers the hell out of me that you need that carrot in front of your face. And I'm like, well, it's a competition. Let's go. I, I had no interest in getting better for me. It's like, no, I want to get better so I can win. So I can rub it in somebody else's face. I wanted the bragging rights. That seems totally normal to me. What was your instrument? I played trumpet really badly. And my dad is like an awesome trumpet player. So I was a really big disappointment to him. Still am a disappointment. I just don't play trumpet anymore. Uh, then I played baritone, then tuba because we needed tuba. I was actually good at tuba, and then I picked up trombone for jazz band. Oh, so I, I was to- good. At, I, I totally was good at trombone see you as a tuba and player. Good at jazz. Yeah, it, it was not. Uh, you believe? Believe it or not, playing tuba was not the way to land a woman. And I was really, <laughs> I really was hopeful, but that's not how to get a girlfriend. But trombone is that. Oh yeah, that's right. that's the one that 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 reels them in. That's <laughs> the a tough instrument flock. though, because you get yeah, it is. But like you get used to it, like because you gotta you gotta slide the positions. So there's like I think one through seven, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's how numbers work. But you you know them. I mean, you essentially get used to it. You should get back into it for quarantine. Do you live in an apartment or a house? <laughs> I do. My neighbors. I bet your neighbors would really. The, that's how I'll wake up everybody. I'm like, I don't have a rooster, <laughs> oh. but. I can be a cock. Oh, I, uh, like 6 a.m. trombone practice. Oh, taps God. or something. Yep. 
Yeah, somebody died. <laughs> like, whatever. I'll do 21 trombone salute. <laughs> I thought taps was what you give people. Is, is that at the end of the day? No, you're or probably death, right. Or what? You're probably right. I think, I, think it, I think you play it at both. I think it's good morning and good night. But I don't, I don't know. It might be death. I'm just morose. Like, like I'm running out of prison shows to watch on Netflix. So I got to figure out something else. So I'm just dark. Oh, have you seen Jailbirds? No. Jailbirds, the women's prison show on Netflix? No. I, oh, I don't think so. Yes, you have to watch Jailbirds. It's amazing. I saw, I saw a women's oh, that's the best prison one. show. No, I saw okay, the world's toughest prison. Okay, you would know it prisons. was Jailbirds. Oh, that one's, that one's rough. Jailbirds is funny. It's really good. You would, I think you would remember it because they communicate through the toilet. Like nope, They're so bored in their cells. They talk. I mean, spoil. sorry to spoil it, but... If, if it's okay if I spoil Jailbirds a little bit listen, for you. Listen, <laughs> if, it, if it involves toilet communication, I'm watching it. So yeah, you matter. have to watch it. It's the best because they, they, they knock on the toilet and there's a men's prison above that. So then they meet men through the toilet and they send – I know you're well-versed in the vernacular of prison from the shows. They send things called kites. Absolutely. The message oh, they yeah. send kites. Yeah. They send kites through the toilet and they'll get this bag out and it's like covered in shit and debris and it's this handwritten love letter from, you know, some dude on the on the cell block above. And there was one relationship. I think they got out of prison and they stayed together. And she's like, Yeah, yeah, we, we met on the bowl. <laughs> that's like that's like Tinder for prison. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we met on the bowl. How'd you meet? <laughs> the bowl. But, How long have yeah, you been so, together? Quarant- quarantine's not so bad. Oh, five years. <laughs> Um, Five years. Okay. It'll be, so, we did not meet on the bowl. We met at a wedding. Oh, um, that's too bad. Yeah. It'll be actually six years this summer, which is crazy because before Brett, the long, I'd never even had a two year relationship. Like I kind of, I'd kind of get bored or tired of somebody after a year or they'd get bored or tired of me. And it seemed to be the timeline, like nine months to a year and a half before Brett. And now I'm in this six year relationship, which I guess like, welcome to your thirties. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. To- so, so here's here's the way my mind works. Settle down. Uh, here's the way my mind works. Like I want okay. you and Brett to never break up. I think you guys are perfect together. I don't want that to happen. But imagine a world where you're single again because I'm. You've been together for a month without seeing anybody else. So I'm sure you've thought about it. Right. But imagine you're single. <laughs> Would you ever write to a prisoner and try to date that person? Because all these all these prison I mean, shows like, as a social experiment. I mean. I'd have to gain about 50 pounds, I think, because when you look at the women who are writing to these prisoners, they're all like giantesses. I don't see, I don't see the attraction though. I don't. I mean, maybe if I was really desperate or lonely and like couldn't score on Tinder, maybe, but no, no, no. I mean, first off, like you have to send them money and I don't have that kind of disposable income to, you know keep them in, in honey buns and ramen. So no, I don't see the attraction. I had, a, I had, I had a coworker, a manager at a restaurant who I worked with and she basically only dated guys who were locked up. Like she met them on Why? the outside, but then they'd always get locked up. She liked the bad boys and she liked, I think there was kind of this, this romantic element for her. This was in New York city. She was a manager of a restaurant that I worked at in New York city of traveling upstate to go see her man in jail. And then she'd, she'd show pictures of them like in the visiting room. And it was this like, I don't know, this cute Victorian romance in her mind. But I think, I think it's an attraction. It's an attraction to danger, an attraction to, to, I guess, bad boys, like I said before. And then I do think there is this kind of element of, you know, when are we going to see each other next? We don't get to see right. each other. You know, the man's keeping us apart. I mean, not now it's a close distance relationship, but I still did. 
I guess I can't compare it because it's a totally different kind of attraction. But I was, for most of the six years that Brett and I have been together, we've been in a long distance relationship. And I actually kind of liked it. When we started dating, I was living in New York and he was living in Florida. And there was this whole excitement of, oh, when am I going to see him next? You know, I'm going to get on a plane after not seeing him for two weeks and we're going to hug. And it's this whole like being apart and then being together. It does really intensify the times that you're together and makes them that much better. Not that it's not wonderful to have a partner that you're with all the time. And that has its, that has its good points too, but I guess like you can look forward to it and and that makes sense. Mm -hmm. If you really want to be alone with your thoughts, Mm-hmm. There you go. Like you're, I mean, it's it's basically you're dating somebody at your very convenience. Oh, with the prison relationship, absolutely. Yeah. But and I guess they they couldn't tell if you cheated on them. But then, right, you just be a bad person. But if you're yeah. a bad person for that, why <laughs> but, is he in jail? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, know, you, you murdered three kids. Like, like, come on. Yeah, you just described like the worst prisoner. Like, okay, I think so. So here, full disclosure, I'm writing a joke about this now, and I think it's done. We'll see. But I've been watching so many prison documentaries that, like, the one thing that I found that's that's consistent is that all these serial killers, these worst people ever, they find a wife while in prison. And one guy got married and had a kid while he was in jail. And he was in jail for murdering and raping 30 people, at least, because there are rumors that it was more like 100. So the reporter asked this woman in an interview, and they're right next to each other, like pre-conjugal visit. He said, doesn't this make you nervous that he's been accused of murdering 100 people? And she said, oh, it's not that many. And I was like, how? How does it? Like, why? All I can think is that I need to murder a whole lot of people, then I'll get married. Well, if you want to attract that type of sociopath, (laughs) that's that's the way to do it. But I'm more amazed at the fact that they're giving murderer, rapist, serial killers, conjugal visits. Like, yeah, no, what, what? I don't get one of those more little murderer. (laughs) But I'm, I'm fascinated how, how that, how the, the mind works. I base all of my life on Green Day songs. So when I hear the nice guy finished last, I'm like, yep, tell me about it. I'll just watch these prison shows and reinforce Mm -hmm. it. Sometimes I give myself the creeps. (laughs) (laughs) How'd you get involved in stand-up? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I've always, I've always wanted to do it. It was something that I always wanted to try. And then I never really had the guts to do stand-up until a few years ago. I moved to New York to pursue acting and didn't have much success at that. And I was very passionate about that for years. I did some, I did a handful of like low paying, no pay plays and stuff. But then I started playing silly comedy songs on guitar and glockenspiel and taking those to open mics. And then I found a writing partner and we do like musical sketch comedy, but I always I always wanted to do stand-up comedy, but it was intimidating to me because of how simple it is. Because it's just, okay, you get on stage and you talk, you don't have an instrument, you don't have costumes, you don't have anything to kind of fall back on. Like if you do a funny song and maybe the jokes in the song don't land, well, you played an instrument, at least you played a song. Like it's something, you know, but with comedy, it's so stand-up comedy specifically. Um, it's so sink or swim. And it was very, always very intimidating to me. But in, it was, God, it was in 2016. I had wanted to try stand-up. I had kind of a false start in 2014. I did it a handful of times. 
didn't really work and then kind of put it away. And then that was the time in my life when I was going back and forth to Florida to be with Brett. So I spent six months in Florida waiting tables seasonally, came back to New York City. And then randomly, I found on Meetup a group called Find Your Funny. And it was just not an open mic, but it was like, hey, these are people who are interested in stand up who don't know where to start. And I had some bits that I'd been writing and was like, not sure if they were funny or not. And then I went to the group and read one of my bits and they're like, oh, that's funny. You should, you should do something with that. And then I started going to open mics and here we are doing a podcast so, in quarantine. So how'd you, um, how'd you get up to Syracuse? Is that just where Brett's from originally? So yeah, he's from, yeah. He moved, he moved okay. back up here in 2018 to be closer to his family. But when we first started dating, he was living in Florida. And so I was going between New York City and Southwest Florida to see him. And I, I do have this weird love for Florida. It's such a wonderful, strange place. I would live there part-time if I could. I think the only reason I wouldn't move to Florida and live there is because of the wildlife. I'll watch like all these oh, – I forget what the show was. It was like a reality show, like Cops for Animals. And an animal planet. And you'd find all these like Gila monsters and, and whatever just running around. You're like, what the hell? Like, I didn't know these animals existed and they're on my front porch. Well, it depends on the part of Florida, too, because it's not so bad in the suburbs. I think one thing that's kind of scary, though, is they don't have laws that prevent you from having exotic species. So if you want to have a pet lion in your suburban backyard in Florida, you can have a pet lion in your suburban backyard. And that's scary. Well, who because who doesn't? Things can escape. That's, I mean, I'm sure everyone's sick of Tiger King. You've seen Tiger King though, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's surprising that Joe Exotic was in Oklahoma and not Florida because he's, well, he's I, so Florida. I really thought, so I think I, I sent a text message uh, to my friend and, and I said, hey, there's this weird documentary about this guy who is from Florida. And I was talking to Joe Exotic. And, you know, it's Florida and South Carolina. And then, and I'd left out Oklahoma and I had to go back. I'm like, wait, was I wrong? Is he, and he was from Oklahoma, but thank God, Carol Baskin, I think you've heard of her. She's from Florida. So I'm like, oh, I wasn't completely wrong. But yeah, I immediately thought it was from Florida. Yeah. She's in Tampa. Part of me really wants to go to Big Cat Rescue and see that. And then part of me doesn't want to support that sort of thing, but it would be amazing to see. I think given the opportunity and look for Don Lewis, <laughs> I, yeah. I think given the opportunity, I would definitely have a tiger in my house, but that tiger really better be affectionate. Really? I think so. I mean, I, I need a bigger house and a yard because I don't think he's going to like do well on my entertainment. But they center. can snap. I know. But they could snap on a dime though. Yeah. I mean, they could be affectionate one minute and then rip your face off. It's like when Carol, she's like, it's amazing. They have that kind of range. And her eyes get all big. Yeah, and you you would I be think, one of those people who who'd keep a pet tiger. I think if I could afford it, I would. That's that's the thing. Like I would have to feed it a lot, and I don't have the money to do that. Yeah, but I'm also in an apartment. I'm, my apartment's kind of big, but it's not tiger big, so I would need definitely a yard. But I don't know. Probably I probably not. I probably would not have a tiger. Mm -hmm. But if I was going to have one exotic animal, it's probably the one. Yeah, it still amazes me that my dog has the teeth that he has and has nothing but love and affection for us. I'm like, he could, I have a German Shepherd. I really do have yeah. one. And he could rip my face off if he wanted to, but he won't because, but it's years and years. And, you know, he has papers saying that he was bred to protect humans and not attack them. But I still, I look at him and I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a, a wolf right here. It's a tame wolf. That's exotic animal enough for me. I don't think I would ever get a German Shepherd. And my grandma had one, and he was great. But I, they look huge. Now, I have three cats. 
And mm-hmm. every dog to me right now looks huge. And they, they bark. Dogs are so much louder than cats. I needed cats in the house to realize that. And so I don't think I could ever go back and get a dog. But German Shepherds just are monstrous. He's not that big. He's like 70 pounds, I think. 70 to 80 pounds. He's he's not. He does surprisingly well in the New York City apartment, too. I, I have a 300 square foot apartment. And when Brett, he's really Brett's dog. So I'm kind of like the stepmom, deadbeat dog yeah. mom. Like I'll, I'll walk him sometimes, feed him sometimes. I'll claim him to get Instagram likes because he is adorable. But Brett adopted him years ago before we met. But he brings him to New York City and he does okay. Like he'll just sit on his pillow in the apartment quietly. And that's all he does. When he's in the big house, he sits in his, on his pillow. So he's totally fine. He used to bark a lot in Florida. He'd bark at rabbits, but he's calmed down in his old age. I think at one time I had four cats in my house and uh, you know Seth Ruddick, right? Yeah. Uh, his girlfriend, Michaela, she brought t- her two dogs uh, over to my house for like New Year's or Festivus, one of those times. So I had six animals in my house, plus Seth Ruddick, who is an animal too. <laughs> and uh, But I, I had completely forgotten how loud dogs are. And those were, they're small dogs, they're yippy. And I was like, oh my God, I can't deal, can't deal with this. But the funniest thing ever like my the kittens were six months old and they're very small and these dogs were coming one of the dogs was coming around my wall and my buddy my buddy dennis he gets on his back legs like he's on the other side of the wall he's hearing the dog come around and he gets back on his back legs and he like like charges himself for a big jump and so the dog comes around he sees his face dennis jumps at him lunges and the dog yips and runs away and i was like that's my guy that's that's my cat he's (laughs) It's his house. He's protecting everything. Good for him. So, so you have alpha. three cats now, right? You I have three, three, yeah. So you're like one cat away from cat hoarder territory. Yeah, and I had what that I had uh, a cat from Michaela. For, uh, I called him Charlie because I got Sweet D, Dennis, and Mac, and he was my Charlie. <laughs> her grandma uh, <laughs> it was such a good move, such a horrible move too. But her grandma went away to Ohio for the weekend, and Michaela said, "Well, I've been keeping my cat." Simon is his real name. I was keeping Simon with my grandma, but like she's getting older and I don't know if she can, she can't do the litter anymore. Would you want him? And I'm like, sure. And I had zero cats on Sunday. And by Saturday I had four cats. It was crazy. Like, like I got a cat on Sunday. I got two more on Tuesday. And then I went up on Saturday and got another cat. So my house was bonkers. And I had Charlie for Simon, Charlie for a month and Michaela comes over to me at Kelly's for an open mic. And she goes, so uh, my grandma came back from Ohio and, and she misses the cat. Can I have him back? And I'm like, of course. But I was like, I was like, like what a move. Like my grandma goes away for the weekend. I'm yanking the cat out of the house. I'm sure but, you were so, relieved to give him back though. I mean, because four cats yeah, is a lot. Honestly, like I, I miss I miss the guy, but I went from zero cats to four cats. It was a huge change. I was used to two. And, uh, you know, I'm tripping over a cat everywhere to go. And, you know, it was just, it was a lot. At least they're not kids though. No. And, and that's, we were talking about this. This like, would be, like, I think this would like, be a really rough time, especially now to have children. So. And you don't have kids. Are you sad about that? Oh, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, I'm not that old. It's not, you know, I could still do it if I wanted to, but at the you could time, do it like right this, now. Oh, if you wow, want, this would be like the worst time yeah, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm I'm at home quarantined. I'm not doing anything else. This is the best time to make a baby. No, not at all. I've never wanted them, like ever. I Even when I was younger, I sort of always knew that I wasn't going to 
have children. It's just not something I ever saw in the cards for me. I am, I guess I am too selfish in a way. Yeah. Well, I couldn't ever. You're a comedian. <laughs> I mean, but there are, there are mom comedians and dad comedians out there. Maybe I'm selfish and also very self-aware of my selfishness. And I would never want to be in a situation where I had, I, I don't like to take care of things and people. <laughs> I've heard you have and to do that I with kids. I never want to be responsible for, for the well-being. Yeah, you have to take care of them. You have to make sure they're okay. You have to keep them alive. And I'm, I'm so absent-minded. Like sometimes you hear of these people who have horrible accidents with their children. And I'm like, oh yeah, I could totally see myself forgetting. Oh yeah, I had to pick my child up today. I could totally see myself forgetting that. I'm a little bit absent-minded. So don't leave your children with me because. So you've uh, been doing stand-up. You've been doing stand-up for four years. Going on four. Yeah, it'll be it'll be yeah. four years. I think I'm not I'm gonna start I'm gonna still say three. I'm gonna say twenty twenty doesn't count. Oh, I, I think it counts. It doesn't count. I haven't You're doing a podcast right now, it counts. Yeah. I haven't written a word in a month. <laughs> so there there's that. So I'm I'm gonna call it a wash because then I can just feel like I thought I'd be a little bit further along four years in. So I can call this year a wash and say I'm still three years in, and then I'll feel better about my progress. <laughs> I think if, um, if anything, this is going to level so many playing fields. Like, <laughs> no, we're all not doing anything. Yeah, we're so all on fine. TikTok now. We're all tick. That's the future of comedy is just become a TikToker. Yeah, you um, signed up for TikTok, right? I signed up. I made one video and then I read some stuff about how, which I don't understand why I'm so creeped out by TikTok, yet I'm totally okay being on Facebook, Instagram. What's the other one? Twitter. And they're storing all my information and they have everything on me. And that's very creepy. But TikTok and its ties to China and the Chinese government. I read an article. The Chinese government can access what they've stored because when you download the app to your phone, it doesn't just keep your photos and your uploads, but it also records your keystrokes, which I'm pretty sure Facebook and Instagram do that too. That's why, you know, if you're thinking, hmm, I need a new eyeliner, then 10 seconds right. later, you see, oh, ads for eyeliner. But I started getting creeped out by its ties to China and the fact that by the fact that it is like the Chinese government can access this information at any point if they want to, because did you hear about something called like the social credit score in China? No, that was like, it's basically like your credit score, but it's based on everything, your, all your interactions, all your information, all your searches, all your web history. And it's very, I'm probably not describing it very well because it's a complicated thing, but that's something to look up. But it's it's creepy and nefarious. And so I still have my TikTok account, but I took it off my phone. I started getting really creeped out by it. But in a move of desperation, maybe I'll get back on it and I'll be like, yes, you can have my facial recognition because I need so I need I'm a little bit of attention. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if uh if that's different for me. Like if I'm if I'm a 37 year old guy and I say, oh I'm signing up for TikTok, what would the world think? Well there Adults, like people our age are joining in droves right now. I'm seeing a lot of people who I know who are pursuing comedy and even not pursuing comedy getting on there because it's quarantine. They're so bored and you could use that as an excuse. But I feel like when I watch TikToks and I get sucked into the void and if I've been watching it for like 20 minutes or so, just my brain is turning to mush slowly, like even more right. so than it already is. Um <laughs> It's like the mental equivalent of eating three bags of Cheetos, if that makes sense. Okay. You, know, you can yeah. eat three bags of Cheetos and you just feel like, ugh, I'm, I am disgusting. It's the mental equivalent of doing that is watching TikToks, I think. so. That's a really good analogy. Yeah. TikTok's geared toward music, right? Or like sound manipulation? Well, it's geared, it's geared towards kids, too. That's the other creepy thing is oh, that okay, okay. 
the average age is, I think they say it's like 16 to 22, but there's lots of really young, young, young people on there, which is another concern. But it started out as a lip syncing app, lip syncing app. So the main type of video on there is you have a popular song and you lip sync and you do a silly dance and then you copy somebody else's silly dance and these dances go viral. And that's the main MO. But there are some people doing really cool stuff on there. There's TikTok artists that are creating cool things. There's some comedians who are actually putting funny content out on the app, but you have to filter through so much just, you know, 18 year old girl making silly face after silly face. And it has 200 million views. And you're like, what is this? Hi, Brett. That's Brett's coming in. You can come in. <laughs> oh, he's getting the kerosene. He's just, he's just keeping, keeping our house, keeping the house running. I like his hairstyle. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quarantine chic. <laughs> he told he told me that I was gonna have to cut his hair, um, and I'm I'm really afraid to do that because it's not gonna look good. <laughs> have you ever cut anybody's hair? I did once in college. A friend of mine got a bad haircut from somebody else. She came in, um, was like, she came to my. I remember she showed up at my apartment and was like, my hair looks terrible. Help me out. Can you fix this for me? And I tried to fix it, and I made it look even worse. I gave her a mullet, I think. So no, I've never. I've never cut anyone's hair. <laughs> so, so if comedy doesn't work out, you're not going into barber. No, probably not. Okay. I mean, I bet I could do. I bet I could do okay with a little bit of training. But well, you were. Uh, what I want to ask is that uh, you are never afraid to add music to your set. Oh yeah, and yeah, it's like uh, how many songs do you have? You got the the Megan Trainer song, right? The bass. All, is oh, that oh yeah, trainer? yeah, all about yeah. I did. Okay. I did kind of. I kind of like bass that one. I have the front butt song. That's that's. that's oh, okay, my, okay, okay. That's like one of my. That's one of my go tos. So yeah, it was. It was inspired by Megan Trainer and also Sir Mix a lot. And right. Yeah, I have that one, and then I do have one that I did a few years back that I haven't done for a while. It was. It was based on "Started from the Bottom" by Drake, and it was a rap about the struggle of growing up middle class, which I haven't done that for a while. And then I had a couple songs. I haven't done Glockenspiel stuff. I used to just do. I used to do comedy music. I had a rap that was inspired by Zoe Deschanel about basically being a twee hipster, but I haven't done that one for years. Have you ever bombed with one of those songs? Like it seems like every time I see you, one, one it's at the end of the set, and you always get a really good re- response out of it. Have any of those songs not worked? It's weird thinking about like bombing with a song or a rap. Because if people don't laugh at the laugh lines, you're thinking, oh, well, maybe they were just listening and maybe they weren't laughing because you wanted to hear it. But I do feel like the front butt thing, it's almost like cheating. Like if I'm not doing well, I could usually pull it out, pull that out and like turn it around, like whether they're enjoying it or they're like, oh, this woman is so ridiculous. We feel bad for her. Let's 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 give her some applause and some laughter. (laughs) But yeah, that's an interesting thing because I when I was performing like sketch comedy and comedy music, I never thought of like, Oh, I bombed. Like, of course I'd have sets where maybe the laughs weren't what they want, what I wanted them to be. But like I said, if people are silent and like, maybe it's harder to really gauge audiences off non standup type comedy. When I watch you perform, I like watching the, you know, it's not just you, but I've seen so many comedians like multiple times that mm-hmm. I almost don't listen anymore. I watch the audience because mm-hmm. I get more entertainment out of seeing how they respond to the comedian than I do hearing the joke again. And what I like watching is that like, I don't think people are expecting you to be so dark or dirty. When they hear a joke you got, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, like, I didn't expect that. Like, do you find that's, uh, that works in your favor? 
You I know, don't know. Being, I mean, I think so. I think okay. I, that's a, that's a real that's a really nice compliment. I'm glad that I'm glad that you think my humor is dark and dirty. Because um, <laughs> I I don't I don't know because I guess I don't really know how to be any other way than I am. Yeah, if that makes sense. And I, I I've been like blessed and cursed with you know resting sweet innocent face. I think because <laughs> um, I do think I'll always like look very wholesome even if I'm not. And I don't know why certain looks are wholesome, but I have it. And I think no matter what I do or say, I'm still going to have this like, oh, you know, she she should be working in HR. She definitely has that vibe. Right. I, I was told one time, and I, I said this on the podcast before, but I thought it was a compliment. And I don't know if it is, mm-hmm. but I, I I was coming off a hosting set. And this guy from New York City, I think Holbert. Yeah, I think I think it was Patrick Holbert. He came over and he goes, you know what I like about you? I was like, what? He goes, even if you're not doing really well, you have a face people root for. And you seem like a nice guy. And I was like, I was like, <laughs> I, I really thought I had a good set. And I go, I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> they want to laugh with you. They do. Yeah, They're you cheering do. for you. You do have, you do have a likability toward to you. You do have this. I, I, I see that. That's a, that's such a nice compliment wrapped in an insult. I know. <laughs> you know how, you know how you, you have this thing that you really love? Well, you suck at that. <laughs> but this one thing you can't control, it's there for you. Here, here's this redeeming quality. So keep yeah. doing that. You, you keep, you keep, tr- you keep trying. Yeah. I it's, Patrick like when, Colbert. it's like when you do something and people say, oh, you tried really hard or you look like you had fun. You had fun up there. <laughs> <laughs> you were having a good time. I'm glad one person was. <laughs> you spent a lot of time in the city well, before, you know, mm-hmm. COVID-19. Yeah. But how would you compare New York City to upstate New York as, as far, far as comedy scene? As comedy? Comedy oh, scene, yeah. Totally different worlds. I mean, I feel like I'm lucky and spoiled because I kind of get the best of both. Like in New York City, you can go to mics or bar shows and get on stage if you want, you know, several times a night, seven days a week. Brett hates it when I call this area upstate central New York. Yeah. I'm from, from lived in New York City. So everything above Westchester is upstate, but outside of New York City, and I found this too in Florida, there's fewer mics, but they it does feel that the ones you do are more supportive. There's more chance of when you're doing open mics that there will be bar patrons who will actually listen and want to, you know, hear some quote unquote free comedy. Whereas why would anybody in New York city go to an open mic just to listen when you can see famous name comedians for free? So you have that, I guess, bonus of non-comics and real people watching you when you're doing mics or doing smaller shows you get more of a real audience, which has been so beneficial to me. I think if I didn't have, you know, the experiences I've had in Syracuse and Florida, I don't know if I would have stuck with it because in New York city, it can be so, I guess, disheartening just to go to mic after mic in front of comics. And, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball game to get people to come to shows there because again, it's just, they have, you're competing with world-class entertainment. Whereas if you go to a smaller town, your show might be the only thing going on that night. So, so they're, they're stuck with you and that, that's great. That's great for me. So that's what I like about uh, the small places. Like, like I got a place, uh, actually our show was postponed in March, but rainbow trail, you'll be there eventually in a go. And that place is fun because 2021, <laughs> <laughs> we're all, hope, we're hoping, all hoping. For, hoping for 2021. I'll be at the rainbow trail. I have something to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But like places like that, like we do that show every month and they actually come to see it and it's a uh-huh. free show, but they, they make sure that the third Thursday of every month, we're going to be at the rainbow trail. And it's really impressive. Like that small town. That's why I like small towns. Mm-hmm. You know, like we are the entertainment. And people are like grateful that you're there. They're like, oh, you came, you came to, to perform for us. Whereas, you know, in the city, you can stand out on Astor Place for three hours trying to bark people into coming into the show and nobody wants to. And it's, but then the plus side is like, as far as a fan of comedy, like I could go watch, you know, the best comedians in the world and go watch and see like, wow, this is, this is something to aspire to. So there's that. And I, I really, I don't know if I could live anywhere else because I don't drive. I might have to learn to drive at this point. We'll see. But I hate driving. It frightens me. It terrifies me. I don't like to be behind the wheel. I think it's, again, that not liking responsibility, thinking, oh, what if I hit somebody? So New York City is perfectly set up for people who don't want to develop certain life skills. Like, I don't really like cooking. And so I feel like I belong there. Just, you know, when it's healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you just in New York City before coming up here, like, to get out of the the scare? So you were actually... You and your show was my last sort of social interaction before I self-quarantined. I came up from New York City the day before we had that show at Barrett Acorn. Acorn. So so it was like, what, March 12th? 13th. Brett and I were in New York City for a restaurant, restaurant trade show just a couple days before that. So we were at this trade show, you know, sampling food, drinking, shaking hands, like full on exposure. Because at that point, it's not... I guess, yeah, we weren't taking it seriously because it didn't seem like I didn't foresee this this huge outbreak. It was like, okay, there's 30 cases in a city of 7 million. You know, let's go to the restaurant show. Let's go drink and sample food and shake hands with people because out of all these millions of people, what's the chance that this person's going to be one of the 30? And then on May 12th, we came up to Syracuse and then I did your show at Buried Acorn and then haven't gone back. That was my last social interaction because since then... I've been hanging out at home besides like, you know, hello, goodbye to the cashier at Tops. That's it. Or, you know, shouting happy Easter from across the driveway at Brett's cousins. Um, That was. Which, by the way, I think that should be how we celebrate Easter for now on. (laughs) Like like just just... shout from the driveway. (laughs) Happy Easter, kids. (laughs) Imagine how much more things you'll get done in your day. Oh, yeah. Hey, birthday, grandma. <laughs> all holidays, <laughs> not just Easter. All holidays. I, I, I could, I could do distance Christmas. Just your yep, relatives yep. in town. Just, just drive by. Merry Christmas, and then you're done. Oh, I, you go home, watch so much Netflix because we haven't <laughs> done that enough yet. One of the things I, I wonder is, uh, which comedians did you watch when you grew up? Like, who inspired you to get on stage? I mean, Sarah Silverman, definitely. Yeah, I can see that. She's she's a go-to. She's amazing. I loved her special Jesus is Magic. I loved her show. That was incredible. Yeah. Alice Maria Bamford, of course, is she wasn't growing up. That was more recently I got into her a few years ago. And when I started having issues with OCD, I discovered her. I knew who she was, but I hadn't heard her OCD material. And what she has in terms of OCD is very similar to how mine manifests. When I was struggling with that, it was really comforting and just nice to hear that, oh, I'm, I'm not alone in this and that there's somebody else who's going through that. And she is so genius level funny. I, I just think she, even if I didn't relate to her yeah. in the unfortunate way that I do, she 
is so different than anybody else. Like she's, she's an idol of mine. And you, yeah, I think you've heard some of my OCD material. I didn't. Do I think so. That. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to even talk about it because she has this OCD material that just nails it. And I'm like, should I even do my take on this? But then I, I did. Cause I'm like my experience with it while similar to hers is not, it's not her experience and you can't imitate her. She's not imitable. Or if people do, there are, I've seen some comics who you can tell. are similar to her. You're like, oh yeah, she listens to a lot of yeah. Maria Bamford. But she, she's one of my heroes. I also, same thing. I saw Gary Goldman's taping last summer and he's, he's so good. He's one, he's one of my favorites as well. I love Mitch Hedberg. Love yeah. Mitch Hedberg as well. He was one genius. Have and you I also, seen, oh, well, no, keep going. I was going to say also comedy music. I absolutely, I adore Flight of the Concords. Have you seen Stephen Lynch? I used to really like Stephen Lynch. Yeah, um, I, okay. st- I still do. I still like him. Oh, I guess I just haven't seen happen? him in a while. No, okay. nothing happened. Right, I guess. Okay. I guess. I don't I, know if he touched somebody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like st- no. I. You know what? I. I still. I still like Louis C.K. So I. Louis C.K.'s new special is really good. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I just don't want to pay eight dollars. Like that's that's the only reason. <laughs> See, I. I had a friend. I didn't pay the eight dollars, so I can still claim the moral high ground that I didn't give Louis my money. Um, but I have have a good friend who loves him, and she she let me have one of her downloads, and it's it's excellent. Yeah, no, I guess I just haven't listened to Stephen Lynch in years, but I did. Uh, I did enjoy St- Stephen Lynch. Stephen Lynch recorded, and I didn't realize this, but he was in the Wedding Singer on Broadway, huh. and. That soundtrack, it's on Spotify. I probably listened to that soundtrack probably 15 or 20 times. And a lot of times it was like, okay, it ended. I'm going to start it again. And I don't think I've ever felt so, I think I felt a little gay <laughs> while listening to it. Cause like, Hey, I'm singing along to show tunes kind of. And, but I'm like, Oh no, but it's Adam Sandler backed. So I am okay. But you listen to that soundtrack and you're like, Oh yeah. If you know the wedding singer movie, you can see every scene in it. It's really cool. Oh, cool. Steven, I have to give it a Steven shot. Lynch, yeah, Stephen Lynch is Robbie Hart. So, oh, interesting. And, and it makes complete sense. Like he sounds because they do like two straight covers from the movie. But I want to grow old with you is the really romantic ballad, and that sounds just like Sandler. And wow. and Stephen Lynch is handsome, so that also might be part of that's the reason why I felt you gay. felt gay. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> you could also have a talent crush on him, and that could make you feel gay. No, as well. it had nothing to do about that. Okay. It was just looks. Just he's so sexy. Out yeah, of all the yeah. out of all the men to pick out of out of the world, Stephen Lynch is the one who turns you. He's a very pretty comedian. <laughs> who do you like? Who's who are your? Oh, I think I think my I, I would say the three who influenced me the most were Mike Birbiglia, John Mulaney, and Demetri Martin. Hmm. And then I was a huge Carlin fan, still am. But those those four for me. Uh, you know, Dimitri Martin, I think is a genius. I think they're all really, really good. But I think from my material, especially when I started, it would have been Berbiglia, uh, Mulaney and Dimitri Martin. I was able to see them all in the same year. So I got really lucky. Yeah. Did you, did you see the new Mike Berbiglia, the new one? Yeah. I, I loved it, it. I loved it. I forgot Dimitri Martin. I, I was into Dimitri Martin. He was one of the first com- comedians I got really into. Well, we're the same age. Well. So I think yeah. So I think when Comedy Central started playing the half hours, mm-hmm. Demetri Martin had one, Mitch Hedberg had one, Perbiglia had one, yeah. Gaffigan came out, Ry- Brian Regan, all those guys. It was like, okay, here we go. So I, I could I could tell like a lot of a lot of people our age, I think that's why uh, we gravitated so well to those guys. Download it in college and and forget about life for a little bit. Do you remember your worst set? I mean, open mics don't count, right? No, no. I mean, like, like at a show. At a show, I think I kind of 
like my mind goes elsewhere when it, when it's going really badly. Cause I've had, I've had a lot of like kind of meh shows, but then also when they're bad and people don't laugh, it's also kind of unremarkable too as well. Yeah. You know, cause this wasn't, I'd say the worst set was actually an open mic when I was right, go for it. been doing comedy, maybe two months and it was at a brew pub and it was a, one of those mixed mics with music and comedy. And I got up and opened with a vaccine learned don't open with um child death vaccine jokes those aren't gonna those aren't gonna win the crowd over um and basically had gone i think i was on stage for two minutes and not a single chuckle like two whole minutes and people were talking over me and i just like fuck this and i got off stage i didn't finish the mic set did you go back Um, like did you i didn't go back to that place but i did i did go back to this was in florida i did go back to other mics that were hosted by that which I'll never do that again. I'll never just bail. It was an op- if, I know if it was a show and I'd been like booked on that, I would have never done that. But it was an open mic and I was like, fuck this. I'm, you're not listening. This is not benefiting anybody. I'm going to leave. And I, I walked off stage. Um, but that was painful to go like a full two minutes without getting a laugh. And I think that's happened to me in longer sets. But if you've already gotten some laughs, then you can kind of weather those storms a little bit right. better. Because I mean, it's not to say that I've never, oh, I've definitely bombed at shows, but it was never anything that like hurt like that, I guess. Because that was, you know, I was new to it and I was feeling like I was pretty good at comedy for being so new to it. If that makes sense. I was like, oh, you know, maybe maybe I can do this. And then I get up there and... I marvel sometimes. Like, like people, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Getting people to laugh is hard. It's so much harder to hear no response. And it's like, okay... I worked my ass off to get this and it's not working. Your mind just races. Like, mm-hmm. how do I pull myself out of this? How, how do I do this? I had one show. I think it was March 7th. So it was very recent where I told a joke. Somebody went, boom, oh. <laughs> and I said, and that was like the only response. And I said to him, I'm like, that was really hurtful. <laughs> like, like, I was like, I don't know what to do now. That is like the worst heckle. That is the worst. That's the most painful heckle. Like that's worse than you're not funny. No, I, I had like <sighs> like instant flashbacks, like sixth grade. Like okay, <laughs> we're gonna pants you at lunch. Oh my god! At least it was clever. That was a clever heckle. I, I'm fine clever. with. It. I mean, I, I'll get something out of it. Yeah. But I'm like, oh boy. But no, I think I think silence at a mic is just so, or you know, silence on the mic is just yeah. horrible. Yeah. It's like, when is the next laugh going to come? Hopefully tonight. If not, I'm in trouble. I always had a fear because like, I host a lot where I'm like, okay, I got to end with a laugh. And if I don't, I'm fucking over the next person too. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a lot have of that pressure. internal pressure. Yeah. Do you like hosting at all? I like it. It's not my favorite, but I've done it a couple times and yeah, I like it. I kind of do like to be able to like do my set and then go have a drink, but I, I enjoy hosting I would say whatever gets me on the show, I'll do. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll definitely do it. I'm willing to do it 100%. I'm like, can you host? Hell yeah, I can host. Love it. <laughs> I remember getting a message from you. I think it was a message or maybe we were at a show and you just said it to me. But like, hey, I want to get better at hosting. So if you have anything as a producer, I'm like, oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I it. did it. I did it like twice and for you, I think. And I still, when we're doing, when, we, when I'm not going to say if. When, when standup comedy is a thing again, I would, I would be happy to host your shows because it is, it is something I do want to get better at just like keeping the energy up between people and 
it's a different animal than just going up there and doing your own thing. So I only, I only get nervous hosting like maybe a minute or two before I go on stage. Mm-hmm. That's it. And once I get that first laugh, I'm fine. But I'm like, do I want to start the show right now? You know, I probably should start it now. I'm a little trepidation with that. But once you get the last, I'm fine. And then I love transitioning to other comedians. I mean, that's easy. But the more you do it, the easier it is, I think. It's just, you just never know how that set's going to go. It's like anything. You get better yeah. at it when you do it more. Like dry humping. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have planned? Like, you have no shows to book, obviously. No. Or uh, I have... to, uh, to plug, rather. Follow me on Instagram, Rachel.Blythe. Uh, I'm making, ti- well, I made some Tiger King fan art. I made Did you? two... T- yeah, I made two Tiger King paper doll sets that are actual functional paper doll sets. So you can you can cut out Joe Exotic and some outfits and dress him up. And I have a Carol Baskin one in a leopard print bra and panty set. And you can dress her up for the fur ball in her tribal print leopard print dress or dress her up in her big cat rescue polo. So you can download those off my Instagram. I wanted people to send me pictures of their Tiger King paper dolls all colored and dressed up, but nobody did. So maybe somebody will do that. But I don't have anything else... Yeah, follow me on Instagram and that's if I have other things to plug, I will plug them on my Instagram because right now like nobody's booking anything. Um it's, it's so weird. I have some ideas for back to comedy music, some parody videos. Maybe we're all sick of Tiger King content, but I rewrote Katy Perry's song Part of Me from the perspective of Saf, the the armless guy from Tiger <laughs> King. And so maybe a video of that's coming out. I think I'll make the video for that. Uh, I was also going to do a Better Call Saul parody of Loser by Beck. So the, there may be some videos coming out, and those will all be plugged through my through my Instagram, which is Rachel.Blythe, B-L-I-T-H-E. I am a season behind Better Call Saul. And, it's amazing. Well, I guess I'm too, because they've already recorded the fifth. Like, that's already aired. The fifth just, just, just aired the season finale a couple days ago. Okay, okay. So, but I'm... Netflix. Oh, Netflix has the fourth out. So I haven't seen the fourth season. How do you compare that to Breaking Bad? I like it better. Really? And I loved Breaking Bad. I was obsessed with Breaking Bad, as many people were. But Breaking Bad got me more in the gut and got me more emotionally because it's such high stakes and crazy. But Better Call Saul is so nuanced. And there's it's beautifully shot. I was rewatching the whole series again. And every... Breaking Bad, the same, but just noticing how every frame looks like a painting. It's gorgeous. And I like that it's a subtler show. There's a lot more subtlety to it than Breaking Bad. And I like that. I, watched- I was Like I said, I was obsessed with Breaking Bad for, for years. I kind of defined the periods of my life in terms of seasons of Breaking Bad. It was like, oh, at that point, I was working in sales and dating Neil. And that was season three of Breaking Bad. And then season four of Breaking Bad was, was when I was doing this waitress job. <laughs> but I think Better Call Saul is a better show. I do that with everything. Like, uh... When I think back to when I heard this CD or something like that, I'm like, okay, well, I dated Carrie then. When did I date mm-hmm. the lesbian? Okay. Like I have to, and like, I can do the math from there. So it's really weird. And I always thought like maybe at a certain point, oh, I'm not letting those go. But I'm like, no, that's, that's just how I'm doing math. Yeah. Cause it's like when people talk about 2009, I'm like, when was that? Oh, season two of Breaking Bad. That's, yeah, yeah. that's what, that's what 2000, I think that that was 2009. So <laughs> It took me so long to watch Breaking Bad. I think I watched it in 2016, maybe 15. Oh, so you were you didn't get to experience it in real time. No, I worked second shift. I worked at a newspaper. Mm-hmm. So I was never home. I didn't have a DVR. And I didn't get Netflix until 2015. So I think Breaking Bad might have been like the third. I think I watched The Wonder Years, Futurama, and oh, it's Rules of Engagement, and then Breaking Bad. 
I feel bad for people who didn't get to live with it in real time and just experience that story for over the years and anticipate the next season. Yeah. Are you watching Better Call Saul uh, week yeah. to week now? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 sp- I spring for it on Amazon. I buy the seasons. Oh, nice. So, so I can watch it as it comes out because I'm a little bit obsessed with it. Well, Bob Odenkirk's awesome. He's amazing. He's yeah. so good. And he is... It's so hard for me not to spoil season five. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. But his act, he's brilliant. He's so brilliant. He's so good in it. It's so weird. Like all these like old SNL guys, they're all incredible actors. Yeah. (laughs) I I thought you were going somewhere. (laughs) No, I I thought I was too. I was just, I was just like, I was just like taking a moment to think about how good Bob Odenkirk is in season five of Better Call Saul and just. Because you don't, it's, I think it's also, we don't get a chance to see how good they are in these SNL skits, but they are really good actors. Or somebody like Jim Carrey, where you see him in Ace Ventura, and then you see him in Eternal Sunshine, and you're like, wow. Well, Amazing. I, I love acting Jim Carrey, it's, but it's just because they're not given the writing and the depth in these other, these other things. So we don't think of them in those terms. And then. Have you seen The Majestic? No, I haven't. Watch that. It's Jim Carrey. Really good. Really good. Matt Damon is in The Majestic, and Matt Damon isn't on camera. That's how good Jim Carrey is. Okay. Like, we're, we're going to hide this schlub Matt Damon to put <laughs> all the focus on Jim Carrey. Because his I'm talent is totally so fine. I'm totally fine with that. That sounds like a great strategy. Yeah. I wish I could have seen if Farley could have done serious stuff. Some tells me he couldn't, but really would have liked to see him try. Have you ever been interested in acting? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you, did yeah, you, I, did you do plays or anything like that? No, I, I was more of the guy who thought, oh, I could do this. And then when I got to college, I did a couple sketches for uh, our TV class. So I, I played a drunk guy falling down, fell down hard at bars. We filmed this thing. I haven't thought about this in years. We filmed this real world sketch and I was the drunk roommate. And basically it consisted of me being belligerent to people in my class or my, my room and falling off of places and into things. And I remember I fell off of a chair, way, like hit my back and head hard. Then I remember being filmed right outside of our one bar at Mansfield. I fell straight onto my face, like just, just 90 degree angle, just plopped down. And it was great. But like, that's, I think I would have done comedic acting. I don't know if I would have wanted to do anything else. Maybe once I got into it, but yeah, but I never auditioned for a play or anything like that. You don't need to really fall when you fall. You know that, right? That's very method of you to actually hurt yourself. Well, college, we're not really smart. <laughs> I went to a state school. What state school did you go to? Mansfield, Pennsylvania. Okay. I went to a state school as well. I went to like, I went to fake college. Have you heard of Evergreen State College? No, but I assume it lasts forever. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was in the news recently because of free speech issues, but that's that's where I went. I didn't really want to go to college, but my parents wanted me to go to college, so we came to a compromise where I went to this college where you could design your own major and basically fuck around for four years, and right. they'll hand you a degree at the end of it. And that was that was a lot of fun. I had I had a good time, but I'm not sure if I learned anything from it. <laughs> And now you're in comedy. So it works out perfectly. The reason I'm doing this podcast is because my parents paid for my college. They paid about 60 grand for me to study to be a journalist. And now I I haven't been doing newspaper writing in six years. So I figured, okay, well, if I go into podcasting, I could at least apply some of the tools they paid for to my life. 
so I'm like, okay, my dad finally, he's like, you'll like this, huh? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, it's nice because a lot of people don't do what they love. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm 37. I finally got validation from my dad. Amazing. So, Does your dad I'm, listen to the podcast? Of course not. <laughs> no, no, I don't think he'd ever do that. Have your parents ever seen you do comedy? Both my parents saw my first show mm-hmm. and then they didn't see me for three more years. And I opened the show and I, you know, I, the joke worked. But I opened the show by saying it's going to be very awkward because my parents are here, and you know it's it's not going to be awkward because you're not going to talk about sex or or anything like that. It's just that I've been telling everybody they've been dead for the last ten years. Oh no! <laughs> and it got it got a really good response. But about five minutes into the show, and thankfully I didn't see this, but my mom told me afterward. She's like, five minutes in, I couldn't do it. She turned around at Maddie B's. She turned around and faced the bar and not her son. <laughs> so she I'm like, well, that was walked it. out. Wow. I know. How awesome. Wow. That, that, that is the worst. <laughs> yeah. How about your, have your parents seen you? My dad? No, no. My dad is really cool, but he's watched my YouTube and was like, I felt like the dad on Mrs. Maisel, you know, that episode where she shows up to her show and she's, he's yeah. like, like he doesn't disapprove, but he just, I mean, who wants to hear their daughter talk about sex and right. say these things that I'm saying? He doesn't disapprove of it. And he's, my dad has very eclectic taste in comedy. Like he's, I think he was the first person who told me about like Lenny Bruce and Moms Mabley and all these classic comedians, oh, yeah. his, his librarian brain. And we watch comedy specials together. We watch Louis C.K. and Jim Gaffigan together. And he has a great sense of humor. He's the king of dad jokes, but he delivers them very well. But no, he doesn't want to see, he wouldn't want to watch me do comedy. I kind of want to write a cleanish set just so my dad and my stepmom can come see me right. in an environment that'll, that everyone will enjoy. So maybe, maybe that's in the cards in the future. My mom doesn't even know I do comedy. I haven't come out to how, her. How do you yet. hide that? How do you hide um, that? Well, she's not really on the internet. She's not on Facebook or any of that. And I just don't tell her. It's not like if she finds out, she finds out. It's not like, oh, I have to, I'm, you know, in my thirties and I have to hide this thing from my mom, but I just haven't told her. That's funny. Well, I know like, like it took me a while. I think my parents saw on Facebook, they saw my photo, my headshot on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And that's how they found out I did comedy. You joke about it, but it kind of is that way. It's like, well, I got to come out. This is my moment. Well, here's the other thing is I know my mom would hate my comedy because she doesn't really understand dirty and dark humor. Yeah, so that wouldn't I work know then. She, she wouldn't really like it. She, Why do you have to say these foul things, Rachel? You're, you're not funny. You're just gross. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what, that's what I'm going to hear. <laughs> have you heard that from her before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I, I think you should – I think for like a – I don't know, like her 70th birthday or whatever, like some magic number, hand her like a, a 15 minute set of yours, like happy birthday and leave. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> the worst present ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I'm going to, I'm going to let you go now. Uh, okay. But thank you so much for keeping me away from Netflix, I guess. Yeah, this was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And yeah, you've already said it's Rachel.Blythe, right? Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel Blythe with an I. Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L. B-L-I-T-H-E, if you Google it or enter it into any platform except TikTok, um, you will find me. <laughs> Yet. Yeah. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to stay strong. <laughs> stay strong <laughs> and stay off the TikTok. 
<laughs> I know that's that's the new say no to drugs campaign. Stay off the TikTok. <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Rachel. All right, thanks, Mike. Peeling back my sunburned skin. Oh, wait outside your bedroom.